<laughs> well, no doubt about what we're going to talk about this morning, right? It's good morning. We're so glad to see you. Could you turn to someone around you and say good morning to them? Today we're going to talk about simply this year I will, and I want to talk to you about resolutions for a moment and to be resolute in your life. So grab your Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we will read verses 1 through 7 for a moment, and then we're going to go to Deuteronomy 6 and start with verse 1, and then we'll end up in the book of Luke. You say, Mark, you're all over the place today. Well, hey, it's, it's the first Sunday of the new year, and my resolution is to, we'll be all over the place this morning, okay? So I, I want to talk to you about resolutions for a moment, and, and then go to the scripture, and then help us to set some, I think, some very biblical and obtainable resolutions for this year, 2019, together. You know, when, when we think of this, and we love the thing that Seth put together for us this morning, that it sort of throws us, when resolutions, it throws us into this, what I call this intellectual vortex of doom in my life when I begin to think, this year I will. And so we begin to make that list. You know, it's whether we write it down or we mentally make a list or we put it on our phones. And we simply say things like, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to surround myself with different people, not that to give them greater influence in my life, but more of a quality of influence in my life. And I'm going to get some things done. And despite in this moment that none of those things are happening, we begin to make those decisions today for this coming year. And, and I thought about, well, here are some things that I have read, you know, over the years that people make resolutions about. They're going to stop smoking. They're going to join the gym. They're going to lose some weight. And, and, and some even get more specific in that area and say that I'm going to burn, you know, 2,000 calories a day in 2019. And I also read, it says, funny, said, burning 2,000 calories a day doesn't mean that you leave your brownies in the oven too long while you're taking a nap. That's not what that means by burning 2,000 calories, okay? So I, I thought that was kind of interesting, that I'm going to be a better person, a kinder person, more patient, more benevolent individual. I also read where some, someone's resolution was that they're going to be kinder to technology this year. And I thought, what does that mean? What that means is you're going to spike, not spike your cell phone as many times when it doesn't work. I, I read an article some years ago in the, the New York Times. It's a column and simply entitled this, that New Year's resolutions, do them or don't do them, because it really doesn't matter, is, was the title of the article. And what they found is this, that 90% of all Americans that somehow make a resolution break it simply prior to or before Valentine's Day of February the 14th. And so what that says to me is this, that the American resolve is about, has a shelf life of about six weeks or so or, or something in that nature. So you're going to break it before February the 14th. And, and somebody's saying, but wait a minute, Mark, you don't know me. You, you don't know who you're talking to, that I am, I am this type A, I am freakishly uh, disciplined within my life. And, and so you don't, that, they have no idea who they're talking about. Can I tell you, those are the kinds of people they studied in, in this article. Those are exactly the type of people, all the type A individuals. Because everybody else, the, the reality of your life is this, that you're going to fall, you know, you're going to fall off the path way before February. Some of you even decided back in October that you're not going to keep any resolutions for 2019. You know, you made that decision and, and, and so what you're, you know, we, we look at these things and we become very perplexed about it, I think, 
you know, and, and you say, but Mark, I'm, I'm waiting till the first Monday in February to start my resolution. Isn't it funny that we always start them on Mondays also? We never start them like, I'm going to do one on a Wednesday, or I'm going to start on Friday. And some of you are thinking, well, it's too late in the month because it's already January the 6th. It's too late in the month for me to start in January, so I'm going to wait till February to kind of start this, and usually we don't start anything. So what's the lesson in all of this? And you think, well, the lesson is never set a resolution. No, that's not the lesson. No, that's not it at all. Absolutely. And that would be easy to come to that conclusion, but it's not. Here is my thinking this morning as we kind of go through this teaching together. And it's this, it's that we don't find the strength within our own willpower. That's exactly what it's saying to us, that we don't find the strength within our own, own willpower. We don't. Why? Because at some point in this year, that there's going to be failure in your life. It's going to happen. At some point that you're going to have a bad day, you're going to have a bad week, or sometimes you're going to even have a bad month. There's going to be the pressure and the demands of your life. There's going to be all the things that you're required to do and all the people that want something from you. And at some point, you're going to feel overwhelmed. And at that point, if you're leaning into your own power, you're going to give up. You're going to quit. You're going to push it to the side. You're going to make all kinds of excuses for not doing the things and following through with the things that you said. These are the things that I resolve for this coming year. So God says, hey, can I give you a set of lens to look through for 2019? In fact, it's a set of lens that we can look through for every year of our existence. But he said, can I give you a set of lens to look through for 2019? And so that's why I chose the writings of Paul in first. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, and here's what it says to us. It says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's not our willpower. And what I love about understanding being not, not my willpower is this, that the lack of strength in my life, the lack of my awesomeness, as we say all the time, pushes us to a greater awesomeness, and that is that of God in my life. So I understand that it is not my willpower, but yet it is that the strength that I find in the grace of God, because what God has done, He's given me all the grace that I need in my life to become the individual that He has designed for me to become in this life. That God has never and never will set us up for failure. I want you to understand that this morning. God never has and never will set you up for failure because he's given us the strength and grace to simply become the person that he has designed us to become. He is committed to completing the thing that he has started within my life and in your life today. And so what what happens in this first and second Timothy that Paul kind of fleshes this out for us. He gives us a little more information. So it says, here's how this looks. So we read down to verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so he goes on to say in verse 3, share in suffering. And he gives us some metaphors. I love metaphors because I like these word pictures. And so he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in citizen or civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And then he gives us a second metaphor. He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And verse 6 is that it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Three metaphors. I love this about this lens that we look at life through. And he says, hey, first of all, as a good soldier... 
And, and what we realize is that life does involve suffering at times. It's going to happen because we live in a Genesis chapter 3 world, so it's going to happen. But he says, stay focused on the objective. You can be, I think, you can be distracted by a lot of details and a lot of things and a lot of circumstances in life. But stay focused on the objective of life and what I've called you to. God says that we have this single-mindedness uh, in our pursuit of that, uh, of our allegiance to Christ. It's, but yet the whole time, it's not, it's not our power, but we are positioning ourselves in the grace that God gives us because that is where our strength comes from. So he says, hey, first of all, be like a soldier. Then he says, second, be like an athlete. You say, Mark, you're talking about the gym thing again, you know, that we all say we're going to go to when the year starts. But he says, hey, more than that, if you're going to compete, you got to compete by the rules that are set. And God has given us commands. We're going to talk of them in a few moments, moments, and we're going to frame them properly in that God is, again, committed to completing what, is, what he has set forth in our life. And that's what these are about. Because what I read in this, when he says, compete as an athlete by the rules, is that I'm not as smart as I think I am. I'm not. But in life, when the pressure comes on, then what I do sometimes, I take things into my own hands. And I say, I know better than God, and I can do this. So I'm going to sort of push the rules to the side for a while, and I'm going to kind of compete under my own rules. And he said, no, when you look at life, when you look at through this lens, realize that first you approach it like a soldier, then an athlete, and you simply live by the rules and commands because therefore you're good. Because we try to win our own way at times. But what he's saying is this, submit to Scripture, I believe. He's saying submit to godly counsel within your life this year. Not only a soldier, not only an athlete, but then third, he says this, like the hardworking farmer. Not just a farmer. No, he could have said that. But he said a hardworking farmer. And what I love about this metaphor is this. Here's the thing. The soldier can always call back up when he's in trouble. Yes, the athlete can always train more. He has options. But the farmer can't make it rain. The farmer is totally dependent upon God for those things and those graces within his life. And so it talks about this, I believe, this dependence on God. But he also says this, the hardworking farmer. And so the farmer doesn't get up every morning and say, God, the weeds are about to overtake my crop. So could you please go out and pull all the weeds for me in your divine power? I'm going to go back to sleep and wake up and it'll all be done. No, it talks about this of faith and works. It talks about this, but our faith produces those works or faith without works is dead. So it's a really powerful lens that you and I look to this year through. And so, and he says, in the last part is that he's going to give us understanding. So he says, hey, here's my desire for you. Here's my desire for you. Yeah. Then my desire for all of us in this room, God says, ultimately, I'm committed to my glory and I'm committed to your joy. And in light of that, I can simply say this year I resolve and I realize it's not within my own power, but it says with his power. Yes, I do the things that I know to do. Absolutely. That I'm not going to be lazy and I'm not going to simply just neglect doing the things I know to do. No, I'm, that's not. But what I realize that it really is in the power of God. And so I lean into him. I lean into him. And I think that like our, our little lead in for the, for the teaching this morning is this, that when you go through your list and say, I'm going to lean into God and I'm going to trust God 
in, in his power and not my own. I'm going to do the things under you begin to scratch off some of those things. And you say, no, that's not, that's not the right thing. And that's not it. And I'm going to trust God for this. And, and we know that. So can we go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1? And I want us to set some resolve this morning within our life. And so I, I was praying this week. And I said, Lord, where do we go? Where do we go in the text to find some real resolve, some things that we can wrap our minds around? And so my mind came to Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 1. We'll read through this, take it apart for a while together. It says this, now this is the commandment, the statute, and the rules. And so I start there. And I know that sometimes, man, we put up a wall when we talk about rules and statutes, and we talk about commands. We say, is that really where we're going to start if we're going to talk about resolve? Yes, because it's beautiful how God directs us through this. That the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. And what it says is, God, even through those commands and those rules, they're always committed, one, to his glory, secondly, to our joy. That you may, and I underline this part, fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commands, commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life. And I underline this part, that your days may be long, Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, I underline that, and that you may multiply greatly. That makes some of you very nervous in the room. I understand that. You say, Mark, I have enough kids. I don't need any more. And and so it goes on to say, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So here's a couple of resolves for us in 2019. The first is this, this year, I resolve to follow God in greater obedience. Yeah, I resolve to follow God in greater obedience. That this is a resolution I believe that we can wrap our hearts and our, and our minds around. But before we do that, I think we have to understand that of commands and following God and being obedient to those commands that God has laid, set forth for us. So here is a couple of thoughts before we get into this. It's this, that God is working a good plan in our life and that plan will rarely play itself out like we think it's going to. Did you know that? That God has a plan for your life and my life, but it's rarely going to play out like we think it's going to play out. And somebody's saying, boy, I know that from this past year. I have experienced that. Hey, you just don't understand. Yes. So in, in, in saying that, I think we have to lay a little bit of groundwork for us to really understand how God works in our life. Because you have to understand one thing, I think, straight up, and that is this, that God is infinite and we're finite. I think we start there, that God is infinite and you and I are finite, that God knows everything, that you and I are limited to what we have called in the past a three-inch understanding of life. And that is that basically what we see is the moment of our life. We see this very moment. We do. You say, but Mark, you don't realize that We already have plans of where we're going to lunch after the service this morning. Yes, you have those plans. You have made that. But think about all the other things and variables that you don't control in this life that could really bring a change to where you're going to lunch. I know that's a very trivial thing, but it shows you that we have this three-inch understanding of life. And everything in our life is measurable. Everything, day, night, sleep, awake, hungry, satisfied, all those things are measurable with God. No. (laughs) They are not. Think about this. You had to sleep last night, or maybe you had to sleep the night before, or whatever, but yet God never sleeps, or the Scripture says He never slumbers. No, you're going to need to eat at some point in your life to live. God doesn't have to do that. 
There are things that you are completely and I am completely ignorant about this morning. But God knows everything. Uh, that, is, that is the way God is. So it would make sense that my plan is not going to always equal His plan in my life. Because God knows everything. Because God is infinite and I am finite. So in light of that, I can trust Him that He has a very good plan for my life this year. And I can't always judge that by how happy I am, or by how well things are seemingly going, or, or whether I got the promotion, or I didn't get the promotion, or my kids are acting like angels, or they're acting like little demons in my house. I don't know. You know, I can't always judge it because I have to go back to this fact that God, that God is infinite and I am finite. God knows everything. There is nothing that in this life that measures God. Uh, yes, us, but not Him. And so my plans are not always God's plans. Wow. And so I trust Him. I trust Him. And so I have to have a deep understanding of this because there will be a moment in this life, in this year, where the waves come crashing against my life at some point and whatever that might look like, and I, and I will have this opportunity to think of God as God being punitive toward me, that God is somehow angry with me and God is somehow punishing me in my life. If I just picked a better devotional book for this year, if I had just spent a little more quiet time with him, then maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't be going through this and we find ourselves running from him instead of running to him because we don't understand his character and his nature. And so we're not going to be obedient. So I realize that my plans are not always his plans. The second thing is this before we get back into Deuteronomy, that God is self-defining, that God is the only self-defining entity in the entire universe. Everything else in this life is defined by something outside of itself, but that's not true about God. And, and so because everything in this life is defined by something outside of itself, what I try to do, I try to define God. I try to make God into my own image. It is the sin of the book of Genesis, of that of my mother and father, Eve and Adam. It is that I try to somehow make God into my own image so then I can pattern my life by the image that I have created God in. And it makes it so much easier, doesn't it, if I do that. And so we tend to try to somehow define God, and, and I can't do that. And when you start doing that, which we all do at some point in our lives, when you start doing that, then you leave the real realm of reality. You do. Yeah. Friday night, uh, Grayson, Reba, and I, we, we went to dinner, and, and we, we, we kind of, we do this as a family, you know, at the end of Advent, and so we went to dinner, and of course, Grayson, Grayson goes back to school. He goes back to the Citadel today, so it was Grayson's last meal, you know, kind of deal, and in a lot of ways, and because their food is uh, lacking, so to speak. And so we went to dinner, and, and, and I thought about this as we were there eating. I looked around the table at the three of us. I was eating fish, Grayson's eating steak, and Reba's eating pork. I mean, we're eating the entire animal kingdom almost. You know, we're just about eating all of it, right? Anything that has a face and you could kill it and cook it, we were eating it kind of deal, right? 
And, and so all the vegetarians and the vegans are just like you're breaking out in a cold sweat right now. And so we were doing that. And so I thought about this in that of trying to define God, the how we do sometimes, that no matter how much, no matter how much that I think that my fish that I ate last night, that night, Friday night, was like Grayson's steak, no matter how much I think that, it's never going to happen. It's not. I could get I could get a thousand people to agree with me that my fish was steak, but it's never going to be steak. It's always going to be fish. It's never going to be pork. It's always going to be fish. And so that is how we try to sometimes, I think, self-define God. We say, God, this is the box I want to put you in. This is what I'm going to make you because I want that to somehow match up with my life and my lifestyle this year. And it doesn't work that way. He's not a concept that you and I can shape into our own image. Man, I'm glad. Because that makes me like God. And I know that I make a lousy God and I make a terrible Savior. I do, because I can't even fix Mark, much less anybody else. And But yet we do that in life. And, and understanding those two things, that God has a good plan for our life, it doesn't always match up with our plan, that God is self-defining. And when I realize those things about God, and then I look at these commands, and I look at these, this direction that God has given me, when I look at those things that God says, hey, this is what you should do, I realize why God does that. I realize that God knows better than I do. What I realize is that commands are like an MRI in my life, that they simply, they show me that I'm sick, they reveal the tumor, but yet they have no healing power within themselves. That's not it at all. That The commands that God gives us just doesn't show me that I am sick, but what it does, it invites me into life as God has designed life to be. Because God is not looking for me for some begrudging servitude that I'm going to serve God because I'm afraid God is always going to kill me if I don't serve Him and do the things He's called me to do. No, that's not it all. But what God says to His commands is this, when I look at them and I lay them over my life, I realize that I fall short of those things. I fall short of those things so it shows that I am sinful. It shows that I do fail. It shows that I don't meet up to the mark. But what it also does beyond that is this. It shows me the path that God has set for me to become the person that God has designed for me to become. Because God is committed to completing those things He has started in my life. Think about it. So we start this year out looking at those commands of God, those things that God says, hey, this is the way you should do things, not because I, I, I'm some robber of your joy within your life. No, but this is the path to the fullness of life. This is the path to the fullness of life. But yet in this text, I love this because if we make this resolution to, to God to have greater obedience then God says, okay, so here's some reasons why you should be obedient. And so I kind of broke them out for you this morning. The first is this, that the fear of the Lord might always be present in you and your children. It's that awe and wonder of God. It's that feeling that you have when you stand in front of a great mountain or the Grand Canyon or something, and you have awe about this thing, but you feel so small. It makes you feel so small about it. You don't, you don't look at things like the Grand Canyon and think, man, I could go home and dig a hole in my backyard and I could beat that any day. No, you don't do that. 
that. That's absolutely absurd to even say that. No, you don't. But yet we stand in awe of that and we feel the smallness of our life in that of the greatness of God's creation. It reminds us of something bigger. It simply brings us to that word of worship within our life, that awe. And that is exactly what he's talking about here this morning. It's about the awe of God that we never, ever lose that because you and I were created to worship. Yeah. It's why people spend thousands of dollars to travel to sporting events, wear all of their team colors, paint their bodies, and take their shirts off in public. They do things like that, right? They yell so loud that they can't speak for weeks or, or days after that. They stand for hours. They hug and high-five people who have, they've never met within their life. They do all of this in the cold and the rain and all the elements and the snow. Why? Because we're designed to worship. It's why we do the things we're doing. And it's not God saying, hey, do what I, do what I say or I'm going to fry you. It's not that. He's saying, I'm getting you back to the way I've designed you to be. I love that. So I obey him to have that fear of God and myself and my children. I, I, I have that awe in worship. He said, second thing is this, why do you obey? That your days may be long. And, and you think, but wait a minute, Mark. I've known a lot of godly people who have died at a young age. So what does that really mean? What God is doing, he's tapping into how he's designed the universe to work. Because you and I live stressed out lives. Man, we live stressed out lives. This is a stressed out society that we live And some of you, stress is a fuel. I've heard people say, hey, I function better on pressure. Let's kind of level the ground this morning. How many of you have ever made that statement, I function better under pressure? Raise your hand if you've ever made this statement. A few of you, right? Some of you are saying, Mark, I feel a lot of pressure to raise my hand right now, so I don't really know what you're doing. No, it is that we make that say, I feel the pressure, so I function better under that pressure. And, and we're always busy, and nobody is as busy as us. Have you ever noticed that? You ask people, say, how you doing? And they say, man, I've been really busy today, and, you know, this week. And, and your response is, but you have no idea how busy I have been. At least you got to sleep. I haven't slept in days because I have been so busy. Because nobody's ever as busy as we are in life. No. And so we live in that kind of society. I Google the word, I Google the word Sabbath. I don't know if you ever Google the word Sabbath, Sabbath or not. And, and you know, when you, when you Google the word Sabbath, that it gives you all of this stress-related illnesses. And so what happens is the scientific community and the non-scientific community, well, they've come up with some ideas to combat stress. So I read this. I'm not saying go to this website, but I, I read some things on it. It's called zenhabits.net. Isn't that weird? Yeah, and it's zenhabits.net. I don't think it's very biblically based. Understand that, okay? But, but I read these things. When I, that's what I found when I Googled Sabbath. And so it, it says this, <coughs> excuse me, if you feel overwhelmed, breathe. Really? <laughs> if you feel overwhelmed, breathe. Now I understand what they're saying, but if you feel overwhelmed, breathe. On my Apple Watch, I have this thing, and it tells me to breathe every once in a while. And I'm wondering, what is it saying to me, you know? Am, am I actually, I'm dead, and I don't know it. It's just telling me to breathe. But it says, when you're overwhelmed, breathe. And then it says, and this is the one that really got me. It says, take one day a week and be rather than do. 
take one day a week and be rather than do. I wonder where they got that idea from, you know? If you really think about it, I believe they borrowed that from Scripture. Yes. That we trust in a sovereign creator God. We don't carry this stress all on our own. We take moments in life, we take moments in life to treasure them. This week in our staff meeting Wednesday morning, I, I read to our staff Psalm 90. And, and, and I was reading that in my devotion this week. And it says simply that we, it's where it says that we are to number our days and we pray that God gives us a heart of wisdom. And what that is, that's a statement not necessarily about time, but it's a statement about action. It's what I do in my moments of life. It's how I realize that my moments have an eternal edge to them. That life is not just about me blowing through the days and the weeks and the months and the years. And, and all of a sudden I look back and I've not cherished those things. I've not seen an eternal value to those moments within my life. And I believe that's what he's saying here, that your days, your days may be long. It's not necessarily that it is promising us a certain number of years to live, but it talks about what we do with the days that we have. What do you do with them? Oh, Mark, I could make you a list. I know, but what are you doing with them? Are you getting up every morning and seeing the eternal value of the moments that God has given you? of the conversations, of the interaction, of the relationships? How do you see those things in life? And I think the third thing here is that he says uh, that I should, I should resolve to be more obedient to Christ, that it may go well with, with you, the Scripture says. And, and it doesn't say that everything is going to go well for you. Understand that. Read those words correctly, okay? Because we like, oh, that's, that's a wonderful thing because God is not a genie in a bottle. Understand that. That you rub the bottle and all of a sudden you're going to you know, get this opportunity for a wish. And your first wish is always, I've told you this before, that you get 10 million additional wishes. So it kind of nullifies any other, the, the three. No, it's not that we go to God and say, God, I'm going to do this so you can do this for me. I think we live that way sometimes. Because you and I have never been given the option to control God with our obedience. Never. We're obedient to God in the inconsistency of that. We're obedient to God because it is part of our love relationship with Him. Yeah. It's not that I do that to get something from Him. You know why? Because He loves to give stuff to me. He loves to bless me. He, loves, uh, he gives me air to breathe every day, which is grace. Absolutely. He gives me food to eat. He gives me shelter. He gives me clothing. He gives me those things. And those are all amazing blessings of His grace within my life. What do I do with the time that God has given me? And then that it, things will go well with me. And then the, the fourth thing is this. He says that we're to be obedient, that you may multiply greatly. Now, to put you at ease for a moment, because some of you are thinking, now, if I'm really obedient to God, then I'm going to have like this house full of kids. They're going to be like the Duggar family or whatever. They're going to be 18 children running around. And I, Now, I, I want to tell you that I'm not saying that God doesn't bless you in those areas, if that's the Lord's will for your life. So I'm not prepared to make a statement against that. But I want to look at something maybe a little deeper here. And that is what this means, that when I obey God, 
when, when I obey God, that there's going to be this ever-increasing awareness of His presence and power in my life. Because if you look at this text in context, it talks about that of God taking His children to the land that He has promised them. It's about presence. It's, it's about power in their lives. And when I obey God and when I walk in obedience with God, again, as inconsistent and messy as that is sometimes in all of our lives, then what I realize that there is this ever-increasing presence and awareness of His power in my life. So I resolve, I resolve to walk in greater, greater obedience to God. The second thing is this, this year, I resolve to have a deeper understanding of God's character and nature. And the first command that I love, if you go back to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. That I resolve to have this deeper understanding of God's character and nature. And the first command that he gives us here, it doesn't start with do, but it starts with this powerful word love. It does, and that's fascinating. Because God doesn't start out with saying, hey, listen, here's what you have to do. You keep the Ten Commandments. That's what you're going to do. You teach them to your kids. And this is somehow some special code in obedience and teaching others. But he says, no, here's where we start. We don't start with do. We start with love. Is exactly because this is about a relationship. It's not about your understanding of what is right or wrong. It's not that at all. That does not motivate you within life. But what motivates us in life is what we love. That is what motivates us in life. It's what we love. It's like when you go to a restaurant, you get the menu, and you look. Your resolution for this year is what? Your resolution is, I'm going to eat more healthy. So what do you do? You go to the salad section, don't you? Yeah, that's where you start first. You kind of buy. You don't go to the other. You go to the salad section, and all of a sudden, you find this superfood salad, and it has it has tofu and it has feta cheese and that's disgusting to me and then you have and and you can't have ranch dressing which i don't blame you for not eating that because that is awful and and so you know and so you go for the oil or the vinegar or stuff like that and and you have this salad that simply combined that of of greens and tofu and feta but yet all of a sudden your eye goes to the next page, next page and on the next page is this picture right what is this picture of? This picture is of the double bacon cheeseburger. Is exactly what it is. And they always put on there a side of the chili cheese fries. It is, yes, and it looks unbelievable. It looks, for some, it looks like something direct from heaven, from the throne room of God. So what do you do? You begin to pray. You pray a real prayer. So you pray in the king's English is what you do. Lord, thou knowest where I am today, and thou knowest my weakness in my life that I love. I love thou cheeseburger, God. So help me to say no to that. Yes, but you're simply drawn to that. Why? Because we're motivated by the things that we love. God knows us. Isn't that wonderful about him? That he knows us so well. That he doesn't start these commands out by, this is what you have to do. I want you to do this. You must do this. And if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. That is not what he does. He starts out with this love because this is about a love relationship between his children and him. It does. And we're disciplined in certain things of our life. Yes, I'm not taking that away from all of you. But I know that there are some areas in our life that we are train wrecks. I understand that. 
And because, just because we know what's right or wrong, the knowledge of that does not drive us or motivate us. No, it's what we love. Because God did not design you and I to be in love with a list. But God designed you and I to be in love with Him. And when we are in love with Him, then I truly believe that the list takes care, they, takes care of itself. It really does. Because we follow God in obedience out of love in our lives. We have this deeper understanding of God's character and nature for us. Because primarily, we're, we're not thinkers, we're lovers. We are absolutely lovers. Yes, and that's why the text starts out the way it does. That we're going to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. And so, here's what he does. He kind of fleshes this out for us more. He says, so how do you do that? And if you go to verse 6, it says that these words shall be upon your heart, that you steep your life in the truth of the word of God. And, and understand that we're talking about a relationship. We're not talking about you memorizing scripture, cataloging, cataloging all of those things throughout this year. That's not what this is about. Yes, you should be reading scripture. Yes, you should memorize those things. But that's, this is not about some dry memorization of scripture in your life. No, this is about steeping your life in the word of God. It's about, taking, it's about taking some hot water, about 170 to 185 degrees, dropping your favorite tea bag into that water, and you let it sit there and you let it steep for a while. You don't just drop it in the water and immediately put a straw in there and slurp it up like you do in a Coke. That's not what you do at all. You let it sit for a while. You set a timer. You want it to draw out as much of the flavor of those tea leaves in that bag as possible. We're built on a culture of speed and efficiency in this world. Meditation, quietness of our hearts, Spending some time in Scripture alone are viewed as almost being antiquated. Can I tell you, as a believer, those things are vitally necessary for your life. They're necessary for your life. Because just an acquisition of knowledge, devoid of a connection of your heart with God, does not get you to where God wants you. It doesn't. This is about a love for Christ with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind because only that leads you to the path of fullness in life. It's about steeping in the Word of God. And so that leads us to the second part. It's verse 6 again through 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on, on, on your heart, that you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So if, if the, the first is this, that that in this process that we steep in the word of God, then the second is this, that God says to us, you know, see me and know me well enough to teach others. Yes. And when you think about what God is saying here, you're, you're thinking, man, the last thing I need is another Bible study. I don't have time for that. I, I really don't, you know. School, if you're a parent, school's about to start and, and you're about to, to immerse yourself in the homework from hell, right? You are. It drives your life. Yes. 
It does. Everything is kind of, if you're a parent, things are built around those kinds of events within your home. So the last thing I need is that. Some of you are struggling to, you know, you, you have so much on you. You get up and make lunch for your kids in the morning, and you don't have time to do that. So now lunches for your children have been relegated to honey buns and Red Bull. That's what you're sending your kids to school with, right? Yeah. It's because you have some vendetta against their teacher. Is exactly what is going on there, yeah? And your child is a weapon. Yeah. And you think, everybody just wants a piece of me. I don't know if you've ever felt that or not. That everybody just wants something from me. As a pastor, man, I used to think, yeah, I'm the only one that ever feels that way. You know? That everybody just wants a bit of what I realize that we all feel that way. Whatever station you are in life, there's always somebody or something that's demanding something from you. Everybody wants a piece of me. And if I could just, you know, if you're a parent, if I could just get everybody home and get them in the bed and get them showered and cleaned up by 10 o'clock and I can have a moment, then, and you want me to, Mark, you're talking about this, you want me to do another Bible study or something? But what I love about this text for a moment before we finish up is this. It really fits our lifestyle. God knows how we live. He knows the reality of the actual world that we live in. God does not speak in these ethereal terms, but it's very concrete terms. And it says that the text says that we teach them diligently, not just our children, but that of we're a family. So it encompasses all of us in this room that we talk of these things, he says, while you sit in the house. It's while we go about our daily lives. We've talked about this before. It's how, it, you know, it's, it's how we go about those moments of our life that we don't, we don't close our eyes to the eternal edge of those moments in our lives. That we do something that we used to do years ago, and that is that we actually sit down and have a conversation with someone. Yeah. I thought about this. I wrote this down. And it's a question. Are we substituting devices for gospel conversations? Are we substituting devices for gospel conversation? Well, I don't, really, I don't really have time to talk to them, so I'm going to send them a text. That's what I'm going to do. Now, texting is not all bad. I do that. I understand that, right? I realize that. There are times that it's, it's, it's efficient for time and, and time management, and I understand that. But you know what? The Lord has said for me to sit down and talk with you. God has laid something on my heart. I mean, I want to share a text with you. I want to encourage you or whatever. So I'm going to just I'm just going to text it to you. No, what about taking a moment to have a cup of coffee with you? Just a moment, maybe to meet somewhere, maybe even a phone call if you can't do it face to face and have a conversation with someone. That we see him enough in our life that we're willing to teach others what we have seen him do within our lives. Do you know how transformational that is? Do you know how amazing that is? How, how you feel when someone says to you, hey, they text you. <laughs> well, they text you, yes. They text you and say, hey, can we sit down and have a cup of coffee? What is your first thought? What's your first thought when they say that to you? Oh, boy, what do they want to say to me, you know? And, and then you text back, uh, what, what's, the, uh, you know, what's going on? What do, you, what do you have to say? And they say, hey, I just want to sit down with you and encourage you for a moment. I just want to encourage you for a moment that I feel that they, it makes me feel amazing to know that somebody, someone wants to invest in my life 
and give a moment of their time because I know that everybody wants a piece of them like they do me. And they sit down and they, make a, they take that moment for a gospel conversation with me. Because I think it's very difficult to hear someone's heart and to pull out of someone's heart over a text. Mark, are you against texting? No, because I do it. Absolutely, I do. Because you know that. Because some of you have received them from me. Some of you are still waiting to receive one from me, right? Yes, right. (laughs) I love that. Isn't that great that we can be honest here? Yes. So we take a moment. We realize the eternal edge of those moments. And we see him enough. We, we, we see him to know him in order to share that and to speak that in other people's life. I think that gives us some great substance to really, as we say, chew on this morning about this year. Well, Mark, yeah, you don't, you don't know my schedule. Ah, take some time. Take a moment. Absolutely take a moment. While you're sitting in line at the Christian Chicken, you know, getting your, getting your fix on there. Yeah, take a moment to talk to someone. Have a gospel conversation with them. Take a moment. If you can't have an appointment with someone, call them and say, hey, I'm going to pick up something. Won't you ride with me for a moment and let's talk. But take a moment to do those things, to see Christ and how he works in your life, and then to share what you know about him with others is powerful. And the last thing is this, and I finish with this. This year I resolved to trust God for the next steps in my journey and so I, I chose the book of Luke because as we finish up the Advent season, today being Epiphany, that we finish up the Advent season, that this is from Mary's song, The Magnificent. And it's Luke chapter 1 and verse 51. It says this, that he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the, in the thoughts, or some of your translations say the imagination of their hearts. Yeah. That I think what we do when we, when we approach the new year, every time one of them rolls around, and they roll around yearly, right? That every time one of them rolls around, and we approach the new year, we approach them with, this is what I need to do, these are the steps that I need to take, and, and this is where I need to go, and then we always finish that with the word if. If these things line up. If all the stars are in alignment. If I can have this if this happens in my life. And what I believe that what this text says is this. It talks about the proud. And the proud spend the bulk of their day, this mental capacity of their life, on what could be if they just have. And so we start out this year by saying, I want to do these things, and, but if. And so, oh, if I knew then what I knew now, I probably would do things different. And if I would have just chosen this instead of that, or if I would have moved here instead of there, or if this opportunity would have come instead of that opportunity. 
and we simply spend all of this mental energy on this statement of what if. And I think when we lock ourselves into that imagination of our heart of what if, we do that to the harm of the present of our life, and I think it's to the, to the detriment of the future of our lives at times. Because we find ourselves locked into the wishing we were somewhere, somewhere else, or wishing we had done something different in life. And we miss this overwhelming fact that God is at work in the moment of our life. That He is at work now. That I resolve to see God working today. Not what if things change, or if I'm able to straighten things out, or if I can make this move in my life, if I make this change, when I get it all together, well, I've heard that one. Yeah. When I can fix what is broken. And what I think today is for is for a moment, a pause. Maybe an opportunity as we talk to breathe. And to see God in the moment of our life. Our culture is so driven on the next step. And I'm not saying that's always bad. I'm not saying it's bad to plan. But our culture is so driven on the next step that I think we miss God in the moment. Yeah. Well, Mark, things are not going real well in the moment of my life right now. You don't understand. So can I tell you, again, that you're trying to mold God in the image that you want Him to be by simply judging Him by what's going in your, own, in your life now. God is not measured by what's taking place in your life now. He's bigger than that. He's infinite, we're finite. So I pray that I see God now, in this moment. Because I trust that He knows everything. And that His motivation, because of His character and nature, and knowing His character and nature, which I resolve to know in a greater way this year, His character and nature is that He is committed to me. Yeah. Because he loves me. So I can spend all of this mental energy with all the what ifs of life. Or I could say, God, I trust you in the moment and in the now of my life. That I don't have to have some cheesy t shirt with a slogan on it for 2019, but I go back to, to what is in Timothy and it says that this year I. I'm going to be like the hardworking farmer, that I'm going to be dependent upon you, God, but I'm going to do the things that I know to do. That I'm going to be like the athlete, that I'm going, to, I'm going to win by the commands because I know that your commands are always good for me. Always good for me. 
because your commands are the path to the fullness of life. I will not always get them right, but I'm covered in grace. I'm going to be like the soldier who I am focused on the objective because there's so many distractions. But yet I'm going to be focused on the objective even when things are tough in my life. And I'm not going to always get that right, but I'm covered by grace. So this year I will. And I pray that this morning, as you contemplate these things, as you go over these things in your heart, in your mind, and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and illuminate these things to you, the Scriptures. Then maybe you go through your list, and before you write this big long list of all the things that you want to do this year, you begin to pray and say, God, you direct me. God, what do you want? me to do. Because God, I do resolve some things. One, to be more obedient. Two, to have a greater understanding of your character and nature. Three, to that of trust you for the steps of my life. And I think that you'll find that those cover most everything. Maybe not cleaning out your garage. I actually have that one on my list. Can you believe that? I do. Yes. I should take pictures of now and later, but I better not because I can't show you now right now, okay? Because I'd be in serious trouble with my wife, okay? Yeah, if we know somebody's coming to our house, that I always make sure our doors are down, okay? All right? <laughs> Don't peek through the windows, all right? Yeah. But yet more than that, I resolve these things in my life today. Would you bow your heads for a moment of prayer, please? Father, speak to our hearts and our minds this morning. God, we, we desire to hear you, to be directed by you in our life. Father, the things that we say are going to happen in our life, they're, they're not wrong within themselves. But God, first, have we sought you? Have we sought your direction for our life first? God, have we gone to your scriptures? Have we enacted these resolutions that we know, we know are biblically sound for our lives? Yes, God, you want us to be healthy. Absolutely. And God, yes, you, you, you would want us to be organized because that takes some of the stress out of our lives. So none of those things are wrong within themselves. But God, if we do those, but we neglect our resolve for greater obedience, a greater understanding of your character and nature, a dependence upon you for the steps of our life, then God, what have we really accomplished? So today we trust you with these things and we trust you with our lives. Father, we give you praise. In your name, amen.
Would you stand with us? We're going to sing. Before we do that, take your bulletin. We're going to read this text together congregationally. You have to turn on the lights for them to see. There we go. If you would stand, it's in the bot at the end of your bulletin. It'll be on the screen, I believe. Yes, there it is. See there? Amazing how that works, isn't it? And I thought it would be great for us before we sing together in worship to read this together. There's just something about a congregation, <clears throat> excuse me, reading scripture together. And so can we read? It's Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's what we've talked about today. Chapters are 6, verses 4 through 9. Let's read together out loud. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. I encourage you this afternoon to read 10, 11, and 12 and it will rock your world. It's powerful. Amen.